0: This podcast is brought to you by the Institute for Excellence in Writing. IEW provides teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training students to become better listeners, speakers, readers, writers, and thinkers. To learn more about IEW and their 100% lifetime money-back guarantee, visit IEW.com slash start. Again, that's IEW.com slash start. Hello and welcome to The Mason Jar here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern and as always on The Mason Jar, I am joined by Cindy Rollins. Cindy, welcome back to the show. Um, thank you for being here. How's everything going?
1: Thank you. It's going fine. We're having an exciting year.
0: <laughs> so so you are, have you started the new school, the new semester yet?
1: Yeah, we started August. I think it was August 6th was our first day of school. So oh, wow. we, we're on, we almost have a month under our belt. We're getting ready to start our fourth week.
0: So do you why do why do you start so early is you just try to kind of do it year round or what's your um...
1: Well, I started I don't I'm not in charge of the schedule, so since I teach, oh, okay. <laughs>
0: people,
1: they that's when they went to start and Got it. Okay. they take a lot of trips during the year, so um it's good for us to get off to a good early start.
0: Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Gives you some gives you a little flexibility throughout yeah, all the, all those extra months in in the middle there. Well, um we're going to talk today a little bit about um school planning, um a little bit about what you um did to create your plans for the school year. And then maybe at the end we'll talk a little bit about some of your advice for kicking the school year off in a positive manner. So you um you don't use you were telling me off the air that you don't use exactly a you know full 100 percent Charlotte Mason curriculum, but that you use some some other curriculums or curricula, I suppose, in a way yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> that is um In a Charlotte Mason fashion, so to speak, could you talk a little bit about that? So, how you you said you use some sunlight. So, how do you use something like sunlight in a way that is Charlotte Mason like, or that kind of fits in with the way that Charlotte Mason did things?
1: Yeah. So, we teach four days a week, and um, basically, I have uh, three to four hours a day with my student, which is not, you know, for a lot of people. and, and, of course, they have other – I'm doing his core, and then he has math on the side, and he has other um, things going on. So he's he has a pretty well-rounded um, thing, but I have him for the core time for that amount of time. And, and we went with sunlight because we wanted something modern for him. Um, and we also wanted all the teachers to be on the same page for uh, the other kids in the family, and right. we wanted something that was literature based. And, and sunlight really was the easiest way for us to get the teachers in a literature based uh, curriculum because other many of the teachers weren't coming with a you know a store of knowledge of what was good literature or what was good um, you know narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Material for that age group and sunlight fits the bill really well for them. Um, it's not it's not something necessary for a Charlotte Mason homeschool by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, Ambleside Online is um, really excellent, but there are times and there are situations where, um, like I said, we're de- I'm dealing with teachers who are not Charlotte Mason teachers, so um, we needed something that would help them navigate that that sort of thing, and sunlight fit the bill. So, 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 I don't, so I'm not recommending people go out and spend all that money on sunlight at all. I just want to make that clear. I don't think that's necessary.
0: So you're you're tutoring one student, and then that student has siblings who have other tutors?
1: That's correct. That and I, I teach okay. each of the students a tiny bit. Um, okay, okay. Um, I you know, have mostly my one student, and then the other two students I have at different times during the week for just short periods.
0: So you're essentially... Um, it's for you. It's the same experience as homeschooling a single kid.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's um, it's a little different than (laughs)
0: traditional.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a little different than traditional homeschooling because I am uh, not juggling a bunch of students. I only have one, and I can sit there with him the whole time. Basically, I look at it as a big giant morning time because Mm. um, we're going back. He does some on his own, and I, you know, I give him some assignments, but. uh, it, it's kind of like having, um, you know, morning time spread out throughout the, yeah. whole, huh. the whole school, all the school hours. So when you were
0: homeschooling your own children, um, and you had, you know, all of them around, did you, how, did you use, would you say you, you did something similar where you were trying to use kind of trying to apply Charlotte Mason's ideas uh, to the, various curriculums that you were using curricula or were you using specifically
2: like
1: Ambleside or whatever well mostly I did both I did Ambleside I used Ambleside as a framework and then I would because before Ambleside came out I had books that I really liked that I wanted to continue um, having each student read Mm, Um, I would let the I would I kind of would pick and choose amongst the Ambleside books um, on that part of Ambleside on, on the actual daily, some Ambleside years, I just use straight up first year. I use straight up as written. Um, I love the year one. I love year two. I love year uh, seven as most people who've heard me for any length of time. know. Mm -hmm. but a few of them years in the middle, the third and fourth and fifth years, I have, there's a lot of great literature and um, um, nonfiction books out in that time period. So it was easy for me to just say, well, I like this book, but I'm going to try this book or or this, this history book might be a little better. Um, usually, usually for me, I use the, um, I took the the big Ambleside um, spine books and just read them, uh, um, to my whole family in morning time so that, um, I wasn't using those books in their individual years as stated in Ambleside, sort of like Ambleside for, um, groups. I was using, um, using it that way, which is a great way to use it with a large family. But now, um, because we're using sunlight, I'm not able to use those spine books, but I've been pretty happy with, um, with the sunlight spine selections um, except for Osborne books, which I'm not a fan of. I really like um, some of the, they're using um, some Bo- Daniel Borston books for American history, which I really have enjoyed. And um, th- those are, it's it's hard to find a, a, an interesting narrative of American history that doesn't have too much information or not enough information. It, mm. <laughs> um, people really struggle with, with that even though there's a lot out there it's hard to just find that the perfect american history
0: you're telling me that it's hard to find the perfect curriculum
1: yeah some for some reason <laughs> it's we can't just get this nailed down um i think that's why um there's Sorry, so we have to
0: create many, it right
1: yeah it's so <laughs> many incarnations i mean i think there's so many times so many moms have come up with their own that worked well in their family and then they start selling it because they're like well maybe that you know here's the perfect way to do it here's the perfect way to do it and I think we all enjoy uh, I enjoyed kind of creating my own um plan I thought that was sort of fun but but some moms do not enjoy that or they they don't quite have the expertise yet to do that so it's fine it's a it's great to have um, use something completely as is, like Ambleside or sunlight. As you, you know, get your sea legs, and then as you go, you get braver, and you can say, "Well, you know, I don't like the way. Um, maybe you don't like the way sunlight does science, which would be quite possible." <laughs> and, and you say, "Well, I, I would like. I don't want to use these worksheets. I want to do science in a more uh, Charlotte Mason fashion. I want a more narrative science um, program." And then you, and, and so you, you get brave, and you, you switch something out and um, and eventually you know you you are a lot of what you're doing is um, based on what you think is important and not just a com- you know plugging in someone else's ideas
0: well i think you're getting at something that it's not just true of of homeschooling moms you know the the need to adapt and use curricula as a framework is a skill that pretty much any good teacher has to be able to to do because you you know, even if you're in a classroom and you've in a, in some kind of a school setting, um, the ability to kind of adjust on the fly and adapt to your students' needs and the knowledge that they have and the things that they're lacking and all those sorts of things, that's that's one of the things that good teachers do. So you know, if you look at any kind of curricula um as, you know, completely prescriptive and you follow a to the letter of the law you're going to run into problems because it's going to you know kind of no matter what whatever setting you're in it's necessarily limited and limiting um, so yeah. you have to be able to to adapt and that's probably i think that's one of the hardest things for especially younger teachers um, to kind of realize that you know you have to make some wise choices as you're going along and that's mm-hmm. true whether you're dealing with you know a family of seven kids or a family of two kids or you're in a classroom of 25 students in a public or private school.
1: Yeah. And I think teachers are really good at, um, I I think that's why the more freedom a teacher has at any given level. Now, obviously there are bad teachers out there. I've met a few of them, but...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are you thinking of someone in
2: particular? Yes, I
1: actually am. No, I'm sorry. Um, We'll just not go there. But um, I I mean, you wouldn't... I tend to, I'm a teacher and I relate to people like that. So uh, when you come up against someone who really doesn't, isn't able to teach, it's a little bit, you see that it's kind of a gift that not, that not everybody has, but taking that many teachers are very gifted. Um, They often can find ways to make um, um, things work for their class and their students or their particular student. And, And you do have to, that's the beauty of homeschooling in that you can adapt to right, to the
0: exactly. child. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you a framework to to adapt. The homeschooling mm-hmm. gives you a framework to be adaptable and to be flexible. And I think <clears throat> some school teachers, you know, traditional teachers in traditional classrooms could learn a thing or two from how how flexible many homeschooling parents um are. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about the specifics of what you're you are doing with your student. Um, okay, so <clears throat> you. How do you want to go through this? You want to go through a, a single day? You want to go through what you're planning for the year?
1: Well, let me let me do a little bit of an overview. When, what I do when I first start planning the year is I get what I call my Ambleside terms down. And um, th- that would be three three terms a year of school. So I go over to Ambleside online and I come up with like Ambleside term one. This year, my term one includes um, three three folk songs, um Gershwin as a composer and because I'm off track with where they are I'm not always I pick and choose among the composers and the artists and and the and the Shakespeare that they have up on their site you could it there it's there's something really nice about you know a bunch of people are doing the same artist together and you guys can talk about it but I'm not in that position so I'm just hitting and missing with where I know I have a limited amount of time with my student so I kind of, you know, want to make sure we hit Bach, we hit Mozart. Um, this year we're doing Gershwin because I wanted him, I wanted to move him up a little bit into modern times. And um, so, so right off the bat, I get that going. I have a, a folk song series, a composer, which is Gershwin this year, an artist for the term and our um, art, artist this year is uh, Constable, John Constable, the English landscape artist, and um, and one reason I picked him was because um, my student is very familiar with England. And I thought mm-hmm. he might, you know, that might be something he could relate to. And mm-hmm. then we're doing Twelfth Night for our Shakespeare play. None of that is part of the Sunlight curriculum. Um, so you, all of that spend... is stuff I add in to the curriculum.
0: So you'll spend the whole term on that one play. You'll spend the whole term on Constable. You'll spend the whole term on Gershwin.
1: That's correct.
0: And how does that look? So how how many... How so long on, per week are you spending on? Birthday? Yeah, so
1: on Monday, and this is not like like I said, I have four days with this child, and I have a lot of other things to do. So this is how I do that with him. On Monday, we have composer study, and by and, and so on Monday, I introduce him to the to whatever um, we're going to listen to during the week. For instance, last week we listened to Rhapsody in Blue all week. We talk a tiny bit about Gershwin and about the music and really not as much as I would like. And then during the course of the week when, when he's reading or when there's a quiet, he's doing handwriting or something like that, I'll make sure that we have Gershwin going in the background and that every once in a while I say, oh, remember this is Rhapsody in Blue. And, and that's our composer study. So Monday, I introduced the composer. So each day of the week is set aside for one of these Ambleside things. Um, we do sing our folk song or listen to it every single day. Um, then on Tuesday, I introduced the artist, uh, the print um, for the day. So, so last, um, our first print for Constable was um, boat building near Flatford Mill. So what I do with the um, prints is I get I get the series of prints, usually off of Ambleside, that I want to use. Um, I upload them to Walgreens, and I get an 8x10 of the print, and I get a 4x6 or whatever that is, that size Yeah, 4x6, yeah. Yeah, and of the print. So that costs me about $18 for the whole term for all the prints that I need. Then I have, then my student has his own, little copy of the painting and then we have a copy to put on the wall and label. Um, mm. So we, we, the so we, we look, so on Tuesday, we look at the print that we're going to look at. We, we, we look at it and talk about it and we just have a good time talking about Constable and, and look at this painting. And then I give, I put the timer on and he looks at the painting on his own for about, and I look at it also with him, because um, one thing that's been really brought, I, I've, thought about a lot more lately, and it's come up two or three times now, some in my reading of Charlotte Mason, some I was um, talking to um, Jack Beckman recently, um, but that as much as the teacher can also be a part of the learning, this is a huge, um, makes a, this is a huge paradigm difference. Um, The teacher is not just teaching, she's not just doing something to the student, she is actually participating in participating in the learning Mm. so we both look at the Mm. painting for about a minute or maybe a minute and a half and then we put it down and we try to remember every single thing we can about the painting now ultimately if I had time like
0: you're narrating back what
1: yeah the colors what colors did you see well he's he'll say I saw red and I said oh yeah there was some blue or he'll say what did you see?" I'll say, oh yeah, I didn't that there was a cow over there. I forgot. I didn't even wasn't sure what that was. His eyes are way better than mine, <laughs> and even in prints, you would think I could see that cow, but I didn't. And, <laughs> um, he's very good at capturing details, and um, it it would be great if we had time eventually to um, actually draw the painting on our own, just looking at it back and forth, not to make a beautiful replication of the painting, but. Um, just to cause us to see and pay attention Um, but Mm. we don't have time for that so so we spend a few minutes on that we hang the picture on the wall and I keep all those paintings on the wall all the constables will be on the painting uh, together on the wall um later on the next term we'll be doing Waterhouse. all those will be together on the wall and um
0: do you ever have him try to do imitations of them
1: um I, I i i haven't i i mean i think we did i actually did do that once and he did such a great job we did um mary Cassett's. uh mm. um i can never remember how she says her name um whatever the opposite is of what i say is my, <laughs> and i switched off is the yeah. wrong one
2: Well,
0: you covered your bases but,
1: yeah. But she, um, they did a child, the child sitting in a chair. I think that was, I'm not sure if that's the title of the painting, but okay. uh, both of my students did it from memory as an, uh, as an exam question, um, draw from memory, um, that painting. And oh my goodness, it was amazing. So I, I, I hate, and, and we all are up against this idea that we have a certain amount of time and we mm-hmm. can't do it all. It, that is absolutely a wonderful I, I really when I talk about it I'm like how can you not do that it's it's so uh, it's such a great it's such a great um, way to have your mind engaged in in a different way, but um we haven't done a whole lot of that we i i'm I'm just doing everything I can to get his nature notebook in and not let that fall off the map um, <laughs> with with um because we just don't have the time we need to do it all
0: can I ask you a question about how you might adapt this with a couple more kids so if you have if you're doing something similar with a, with an artist and you're looking at the paint you know they're looking at the painting and you're just making observations it's probably pretty easy for you and one child to just kind of have a discussion about that if you were doing that with multiple kids would you kind of would you would you do that where you might go and a sort of just let them let each kid say whatever they see or would you kind of call on kids? How would you adapt that? So if you say you have three, say we're going to have four kids in my family. So here soon. So if you have four kids in your family,
1: yeah, I would start with the youngest always. Um, okay. It's always fun to start with the youngest and just say, what, you know, we're going to all go around the room and we're going to say, what do we, re- something we remember and let's see how far, how long we can keep going. Hmm. So, um, I mean, if or and co-ops do this a lot, this is some, this is an activity that is done in co-op. So it really becomes quite more, it's really more exciting the more you have, because you know how the competitive nature takes hold. Nobody, Everybody wants to keep remembering things. So um, they don't want to be the person that says, I don't know, I can't remember anything else. So so yeah. they it works really well. And you go around the room, you start with the youngest, and then you know that makes the oldest have to think a little harder. And um, usually that works very well. I, I feel like it almost works better the more you have.
0: Hmm. I have an exercise that I do when I'm teaching fiction writing where... We, I, get, I just get like a brick or something very nondescript, um, you know, relatively nondescript. And I set it on a table and then everybody in the classroom has to give a word to describe it. And I'll just go around ah. many, many times. And so we'll write them all on the board. So I've filled up a giant, you know, 20 by 10 whiteboard before with terms. And so, you know, you just keep going and going and you can see every kid's, you know, competitive nature coming out. So you... Yeah, well, that's
1: very similar. And so you do that with a brick? Is that what you so said? So what I'll
0: do is I'll take something very simple like a brick. Yeah, and, yeah. And then they have to... So then we describe it. We come up with the descriptive term. So, you know, things like red or hard or sharp or whatever. And then their assignment at home is to then describe the brick using none of the words that we came up with. And so wow. the, the idea is... Um, basically, the idea is they have to think about it as something more than just the physical elements of it so when you're writing fiction you got to, you're thinking in terms of how you know you're thinking in terms of the imagination and what things represent and all that kind of stuff right then the right. best you know the best versions of the student versions will come up well they'll they'll turn it into a little story where there's something the brick means something or it represents something so you want them thinking the idea of that exercises i mean you really have to do this with older kids it's, you can't really do it so much with like sure 10 year olds because <clears throat> their imaginations are a little bit... Well, I mean, they you, they might be able to do it, but it's a little different.
1: I, I think they but. could do it on some level. Maybe not yeah. on the level you're taking it to, but
0: yeah, I I'm think, doing this with juniors and seniors in high school.
1: Yeah, I think even just having them describe a brick... Because if, with one student, you're going to say, we'll describe that brick and, and he's going to say three or four things and he's going to run out of ideas. Right. But then yeah. when someone else's mind comes up and has more, then that forces... Everyone to dig deeper. Well, if he knew something else, well, maybe there is something else. But a lot of times, with one student, they'll be like, I don't know anything else. I don't know. That's all I could think of.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. But
1: when you have that little bit of that competition going, and I think that even beyond like writing fiction, um, just observation and Mm -hmm. thinking what a great, what a great um, exercise. Anything I feel like we can do that causes our children to pay attention on another level is. Is just, you know, what the whole point of everything.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of the idea. I've, I'm actually, I've been going through an interview with a poet named Scott Cairns and he's talking in it about how for the poet, it, the number one thing, you just pay attention and that's a yeah. skill. And, you know, that, that's, that's the point is I don't, the final results of what my students come up with is not really what I'm concerned with, but it's about sort of, a matter. Of, it's a matter of perspective. It's about the the sort of muscle memory of learning to pay attention to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at more than what's on the surface. And that's really valuable, whether you're a poet or a novel, short story writer, or whether you're just, you know, an average, uh, I don't mean average in a negative way, just a normal everyday person, you know? Yeah. Living your yeah. life with everyone, with other people. Um, learning to pay attention is a big deal.
1: Well, if you look at um, the biographies of writers, almost... I'm just struck by how many of them, um, learn to draw as children and who spend mm. a lot of times out of doors. Um, it, this is a theme that comes up over and over again when you're reading biographies, really, uh, people who are very observant and, and ha- have turned that into a, the skill of writing. Uh, it just, it's, it's this year, I've just been paying attention to that and it, it's just been, um, uh, and, and I think what we see in the past is we had a lot more people that drawing was a part of everybody's life at one point in history. Now, yeah. um, it's, it's not so much. But at one point in time, that was a skill everyone felt, maybe because they weren't inundated with visual images constantly. I was going to
0: say, and I think that, you know, the people had perhaps more like idle time in some ways. Like now we fill our idle time with this. You never have something you... You don't have you. You're never gonna not find something to fill your idle time with.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and that's why, but like, look at children. Like I look at my kids, and when we don't let them, you know, watch something or whatever, they're either playing outside or they end up drawing, right, or reading. Like they yeah. fill their idle time with things that are natural to fill your idle time with.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, a couple of my grandkids are like that with drawing. They just draw constantly.
0: Do and, they hum while they draw? My son hums. Ah, that's so
1: interesting. Like,
0: he'll do it for like two hours. I'll just hear him. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'll have to ask or I'll have to look, pay attention next time. My one little grandson bought himself this old leather suitcase at a yard sale. And <laughs> nice. he put all his drawing materials in it. And That's he comes great. to visit. He comes in with his suitcase and he goes and sets up and immediately starts drawing in <laughs> <laughs> crazy he does not need you know and i don't know how much he watches i'm not you know with him every day to know you know how much he watches on television or youtube or whatever kids watch these days but um yeah so so that any any thing we do to observe um and and the thing about observing and paying attention is it takes time and that is why Mm -hmm the schedule is such an enemy in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, we have to have a schedule. It's a beautiful thing, but um, it's, it's too bad that it it can't, you know, contract and expand as, yeah. as it needs to. Well, this
0: is why, this is why like artist and composer study are so valuable. And it's not just because there's like academic value that you're filling your head with knowledge of paintings or, you know, your ears yeah, your yeah. composers. I mean right. that practice of what you're describing there, looking at a um listening to Gershwin or looking at a painting by um who did you say you're doing? Uh Co- John Constable. Oh yeah by Constable. Like you're there's habits that are being trained there. There's mm-hmm. uh, the practices. They're they're learning to pay attention. They're you know it's it's not just about and at that age they're not even thinking, oh I'm doing this because I'm supposed to have a certain amount of knowledge of composers or or,
1: right, uh, or right. the
0: paintings. They're still a place in their lives where they're enjoying that sort of thing
1: yeah and Um, as long as we can keep that going i think that's that's a that's a really good um sign when it's not just oh i know who um you know i know beethoven yeah yeah
0: (laughs) so then i can move on to
1: yeah
0: so how many how many um how many constable paintings will you do how many uh, five
1: or six and I I I did it in terms but I'll probably finish constable before the end of this term and because I do one painting a week and I'll probably start I'll probably get in five or six artists this year maybe maybe four so Um,
0: sorry go ahead go ahead no no
1: that's that's I was just saying that
0: well so if you do one painting a week do you just do it the one time a week or do you look at multiple days in a week
1: Well, I'll call attention to it here and there. I'll just say, oh, remember our painting or, Mm, oh, that reminds me of our painting or, or like Drake, that's my student's name, but um, he'll, um, he loves birds. So um, he, we might see a bird and it and it comes up a lot of times birds come up in almost every poem that you could possibly read has a bird in it start paying attention and there's hardly a poet who doesn't refer to a bird in this poem here and there <laughs> but um, even paintings you know if we if we see a crow outside we might say oh yeah I think there was a crow in the painting wasn't there um, so you if it comes up naturally you can refer back to it and then sometimes I'll I'll refer back to the name just so he can, although it's even, for me, it's hard to remember the name. I mean, it's hard to remember the name of a painting called uh, Boat Building near Flatford Mill. I mean, how am I supposed to know that, you know? But <laughs> um, but but just so he kind of knows that they do have names and, and what the author, what the artist was painted, you know. Um, so the point of this painting is actually, the center of it is the boat building, Mm-hmm. Um, so so, so that 's what we do on Tuesday um, um, as far as um, some of these extra things
0: so uh, um, briefly, can you give us sort of a summary of what you do with with, with the music with Gershwin
1: um, basically I just we talk about it at the beginning of the week if I have a biography of either the artist or the the um, composer that is excellent, like an Opal Wheeler biography, which obviously we don't, I don't think Opal Wheeler, I don't think she would have done Gershwin. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think she was, she didn't get that far in history. But um I'll, I will read that out loud a tiny bit a day, like maybe one or two pages a day. Um, but I don't usually, I don't have time now, right now. Um, that was before we were using Sunlight, I would, I did that more. So now I just make sure we listen to it, have it in the background and refer back to it uh, throughout the week. Oh, here's Rhapsody in Blue. Oh, I'm going to put on Rhapsody in Blue while you read um, Mara, Daughter of the mm-hmm. Nile. So, um, So
0: how many times will he have heard the Gershwin piece over the course of a week?
1: Probably four or five times uh, during the course of the week.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, he won't have heard it in its entirety that many times, but I'll have put it on in the background wherever, you know, it'll start over and I'll play it again and, it'll just keep going.
0: Yeah. In your house, were your kids, were some of them more musically inclined than others?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some kids related more to music.
0: Did you find that... um, When you did that, the kids that were more musically inclined tended to enjoy that time better.
1: Um, I think, yeah, it was hard to tell when they were growing up how much they were tuning into it. But then later, like one of my sons, um, even now, he just every time you're around him, he has uh, on his computer. He's on his computer working. You can hear Tchaikovsky in the background. He loves Mm. Tchaikovsky and the Swan Lake and Mm. Sleeping Beauty and some of these really beautiful pieces i mean it really it doesn't get hardly any better than that mm-hmm. and um and, and i find that interesting um that almost all of them here and there you'll you'll get glimpses of the fact that they still listen to classical music mm-hmm. um they don't always listen to classical music but but they still do listen to it
0: yeah did you feel like at the time that you were one of your goals was to set out to have children who grew up to be adults who listened to classical music or looked at great paintings or read Shakespeare? Or was it, did you not think about it like that?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think it was my goal. I think it was a naive goal in some ways. But, <laughs> yeah, I was going
0: to ask if that was your goal. Do you think that's a good goal for people to
1: have? Yeah. I don't think a goal is really all that helpful at this point, but uh, of course that was the goal. But And it has paid off. It hasn't paid off in the, in the romantic way I imagined that it would pay off, mm. but it, I definitely don't regret it in any way. I don't regret... Mm. Um, that I don't think you can spend too much time on a composer or too much time looking at art. Um, I don't think any of that. I, I think all my children would say they're glad they know some the certain poems. Uh, they're glad they, they looked at certain paintings and yeah. are familiar. When they see them, they're kind of, they're kind of, they're just familiar with them. They're not, it's not like, Oh, they're great artists that could take you to a museum and walk you through you know at like a docent but mm. they are they are familiar with they are they're regular friends with those things and mm. i think that's valuable mm.
0: yeah yeah and i imagine that there's a sort of Unconscious shaping of affections that happens by paying attention to those things because when you pay attention to beautiful things, your affections are shaped.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah,
0: even if you don't I think they know, it in a way.
1: I, I think they would all say that they know that those are the things are good and true and beautiful, and that and, and and they recognize that. Um, whether they sometimes listen to rap music or you know, something else, something not quite so beautiful. I always love that John Hodges talks so realistically about um what kind of things our ch- you know you, children listen to yeah they do they yes they do listen to what's popular and they also but they also it doesn't have to be a war between those things, even though mm. you know maybe philosophically there is a war <laughs> um, you right, know, right but it doesn't have to we don't have to take a side uh, as mm. far as uh i mean sure i mean it doesn't really do any any good for us to be snobby or 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 debunker debunkers as i like to say you know that doesn't really produce what we're looking for if we if we say well we're going to listen to bach because rap music is so terrible and it just ruins the world mm. um you know it it that doesn't help that isn't what we're looking for at all we just want to love Listening to Tchaikovsky, we just want to love it. We don't want to. Comp- it doesn't have to be that our children grow up to can be compared. I mean, they will, but it it's maybe not so clear cut as we'd like to think.
0: Mm. Well, okay. We, for time's sake, let's let's jump back into some of the original conversation here about yeah about um sort of planning for the year. So you've talked a little bit about. Some of the things you do with the music, some of the things you do with um, the painting. You talked about how it, sort of the whole the whole approach is sort of like a long morning time. And mm-hmm. You adapt you adapt sunlight. So um, you're doing it in terms. So how? Here's a question that I that I'm curious about. That I imagine a lot of people are trying to figure out when they're planning. Any teacher who does a lot of planning is always thinking about the assessing. Mhm. You know, whether you're doing tests or quizzes or how you're fitting those things in and how much content should be on them. Um how do you how do you approach the assessments that you're that you're giving your student?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um last year my student um so I'd work with him for 2 years with basically no real assessment um as far as Because how, he was young. Yeah, because he wasn't taking um I'm not I mean he's still young and um we 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 don't do a lot of tests. everything like when we read, we read and he does narrations, like right, we, right. we read the story of the world, and then he narrates it. Um, and that to me, that's the assessment that's the test. Did he understand what he was reading? was he how is his mind interacting with that, and can he work with it? like he does a spelling. Thing online. And when he, he might get a, they, they give him very, very hard words. Um, I, and this is called Dr. Ardsma's spelling. I've talked to him about it before. Um, he might get a 63 or 70 on the day because the words are difficult. And then the program, you know, recycles words that he's not spelling correctly. So that's not a grade that says, Oh, he's failing spelling. That that's just an assessment to say um, there, there's where he 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 knew about sixty three percent of those words today those very hard words and he's he's going to know some very hard words in the future how to spell them but I'm not assessing him as oh he failed spelling today
0: right right it's, um, it helps you identify what you need to teach
1: yeah I mean I'm happy right I'm happy that um we're we're learning some very hard things and of course he's not going to have a ninety percent on you know Azerbaijan or whatever that country's name is. How's he going to, that's, you know, (laughs) some of the words are really very difficult. So I'm not big (laughs) on testing and assessment and, and, and in the curriculum I'm using, they're not, they, they also don't have a lot of testing, um, or assessment that is done in that way. So I really didn't have to come up against that. But last year, um, because the family is involved in starting, um, a charter school in our community. Um, the head of the charter school came in and decided to test the kids as a, as a way of practicing um, a test assessment. And um, it was going to be on um, on reading comprehension. Now, I would have guessed that he would have had a really good score on reading comprehension, but he had never been tested on it, and it had just been me reading and him reading and him narrating back. Well, he, he, and this is not a kid who just, oh, I love school. Let me just do school. He's not like that at all. He He's not, he's a boy and, you yeah. know, he wiggles and he gets impatient. And <laughs> and that's one reason I, I do a lot with him on any given day, but it's all in short spurts of time. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, he was off the charts on his reading comprehension. And they, everybody was in shock. I, I wasn't in shock. I was just thankful. Like, what if? What if I'm wrong? What if, you know, what if <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't have trusted the process? <laughs> yeah. What if the process is and so
0: And you were basically just reading, doing narration, and discussing things? That's pretty much it?
1: That's it. I mean, he does his language arts, besides his read, and I don't do math with him. So besides his reading, um, he has, which is his history, a lot of reading is history related, um, so we have like a spine and then we do the novels and then he does the narrations and we might do two or three. He, he's writing now, um, it, during the course of the day. So his language arts consist of spelling, handwriting, typing. Um, we do a Michael Clay Thompson sentence every day. He does a Wordly wise workbook. And any extra sunlight activities, um, writing activities, which they usually have one little writing activity a day. So he does a, uh, uh, so during the day, he's going to, here's, I'll I'll name all the things he does to write during the day. When he comes in, he does a little daily journal, which is about a paragraph, where he talks about what he did yesterday or the day before. Um, He might do some copy work for, if he's doing a memory, Bible memory verse, which he always is, or a poem, he might um be working on getting that whole thing down, like maybe one verse a day. If he's doing a Bible passage, he'll write one of the verses down that day. Or if he's done with his Bible passage, he'll start working on his poem. Right now, he's memorizing. We're in ancient history, so he's memorizing Ozymandias, and he's mm-hmm. writing that a little bit at a time each day. Um, later on, he'll do a, a complete narration, and um, then he'll um, he'll he'll do his um, Whatever handwriting he has to do, which is just a very minimal amount, and he will do any sunlight um, activities and, and those are the activities where we can pull out the editing, so which he 's just now learning, or we can we can do some things like outlining. I worked really hard without any um, sunlight activities last year on getting him to write from an outline because it 's just so helpful. Um, you can Once you have an outline, you can pretty much, you know, do anything with writing. But n- that, with those activities, it's nice because with narrations, you don't pull them out and edit them. But these are writing activities that we can say, well, let's go through this. How can we do this better? Um, let, let's edit this or let's add, let's elaborate. How can we elaborate or how can we add a metaphor here? Usually I don't have to say that to him. His writing is so full of excellent metaphors. He just naturally writes um, like that, that I don't have to generally, um, I don't have to create that opportunity for him.
0: You say that he naturally does that. And that's probably something somewhat true. But in my experience of working with lots of different kids of different backgrounds and ages and things like that, the common thing among kids who naturally, um, write that way is that they have tended to be around music and paintings and books that were good.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's
0: natural perhaps, but it's also it becomes ingrained, you know, like that the way of thinking about the world imaginatively, um, it, that can easily be lost even in kids who are naturally gifted with their work, with their speaking and writing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I know a lot of people who say, "Well, my kid's not a good writer," because, but then, you know, it's bad people who are not naturally great. I don't know. I'm trying to think how to say this. Like I've known a lot of people who aren't naturally like great wordsmiths, right? Who can write very well because they have spent a lot of time thinking about what's beautiful or, or just thinking about beautiful things, you know?
1: Right. Thinking. Yeah. And I think that's true. He, he knows, he has learned how to process in a way that, um, he, he loves taking in a lot of this stuff. He, he doesn't love all of school, but there are parts of it he does love. And he remembers and he, and he, and the thing I love about him is that he trusts me, which, um, I don't want to lose that trust and I'm very careful with it. But mm. I think that has made him more open to what I'm teaching him than maybe yeah. a child who maybe like your own child who may be like, Oh, that's just my mom. What does she know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe and I guess I'm guessing that happens increasingly more as they get older.
1: Yeah. And, and of course he is a young student. So yeah. how old is have, he? Well, he's twelve. Okay. He's getting yeah. older now. This year he's a little bit older. And, um, and he loves Shakespeare. So we, I, I normally would do Shakespeare just once a week because last year I did when we were just doing uh, lambs or, or Edith Nesbitt Shakespeare mm-hmm. stories, we would just do one in a week, but we got through all of those. And now I'm just, um, we are reading, we're reading 12th night. We have a real pretty storybook. I don't have it with me. And I can't remember the author, but it's a beautiful, like a Bruce Covel or something storybook on 12th night. And we're listening to the audible, um, archangel recording of it. And what I do is I pull it up on the computer at the, um, at the um at the mit site mit has the whole shape all shakespeare's plays online and, and they're in such a way that you can really see the words well and who's talking so i pull that up so we can tell who's saying what because when you're listening to an audio audio of shakespeare you it's it even tricky, if, yeah. even when you know the play sometimes you're not sure who's talking yeah, so yeah. um this makes it so you know who's talking and um we we're listening to this the, the actual original um a a recording of the original. I'm going to have to get
0: you to send me some of those links so we can post those in the show notes.
1: Okay. Yeah, I will. All right.
0: Um, let's see. So we've talked about what, what else we need to talk about here. What else do you feel like you need to talk about about when it comes to planning for the school year?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's basically, you know, then we have history and we do, you know, the Bible, basically Bible history and science, um, and then some reading aloud, um, Always make sure that there's some enjoyable reading aloud. Um, he well, you- did not like the. He had he was twelve, and I figured he'd already read the Chronicles of Narnia, but he hasn't. So he said, "Oh, I did. I I I, I saw the movie. It wasn't that good. I don't want to read it." And I said, "I'm sorry, but <laughs> you are, we are reading the, the Lord, Blind, the Rich, and the Wardrobe, and you are not comparing it to the movie." And and so we started reading it. And I, he sounds—he seems like he really—I mean, how can he not? He seems like he really loves it. And so, um, it, he, I to me, that's just—I'm just doing some remedial work
2: there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Are you reading that aloud, or is he reading it?
1: Um, I'm reading it aloud on okay. that, even though he could easily read it. Um, yeah, yeah. He, some things, uh, and I, I'm reading Huckleberry Finn to him aloud, and I, Huckleberry Finn's a good read aloud because. For modern sensibilities, there's a lot of confusing things in there that um, unless you want to explain a lot of things to your kids... Yeah,
0: you can weed it out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you can just say, you know, slave instead of a really bad word or that's some of the things that um, are in there. Not that I normally do that. I don't. But that's a good book to edit as you go.
0: Yeah, you can use some judgment on that. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to... Let's quickly go through... um, Bible and science, Bible history and science. I think you said. What do you? What's your Bible look like?
1: Um, For Bible, we have we. I read. I read a narrative out of the Bible. We're in Mark right now, and then we do. uh, We're memorizing Psalm ninety, and um, so he he works on. I read it. I usually read it every day, or he reads it. One of us read it out loud, and um and and then.
0: And how many verses do you read a day?
1: Um, we'll just read the whole thing. I like to read the whole thing, or. Uh, Maybe half or something. Sometimes we we might start with just reading one or two and move on. But for the most part, I'll just keep reading the whole thing until he's memorized it, maybe four or five weeks. Um,
0: Like a whole, like, so wait, so so you're, what are you reading exactly?
1: um, Psalm 90. Okay, so you're Uh, reading
0: the psalm and then he's memorizing that. Yeah. And then you, but you said you're also reading a narrative.
1: Um, yeah, Bible? so we're reading through Mark right now. Okay,
0: and how long will you spend on on one book of the Bible, like on, on, on I'm, um, just on, however long like. it
1: takes? I just just keep reading until we get to the end. But I won't. You don't have to read a lot. Like I read a little more um, because it's in the sunlight manual. I read a little more on in that than I would naturally read. I would probably only read one or two episodes, you know. But they yeah. usually have you reading pretty much the whole chapter, which is a lot, especially when you think of narration and remembering. Yeah. But um, yeah. But it doesn't really matter how far you get it's just um you know having the bible continually read and Mm -hmm, put in mm -hmm. your heart
2: Mm -hmm. Um, and then
1: we read some poetry and he does some poetry memory the same way and then we move into history and with history um we're last year we did early american history now we are um moving i want to move him ahead because he's he needed to move up a little bit and um so we put him in um sunlight g so it's um right now we're reading a lot about egypt and assyria and babylonia and all the um all the early um india and china all the those the ancient histories of those countries Hmm. and a couple couple literature books to go along with that
0: well do you have any advice as we go here um, we covered a lot of ground today, but just any advice for people who are starting the year off and could use some some words of wisdom, some words of encouragement, just some cautions. You know, anything that you've learned over the years that you would that you would recommend people attend to.
1: Well, I think it's super wonderful to plan, and I think we should plan. I think that not having a plan is um, not helpful but also we should hold our plans loosely we should keep in mind that our children are individuals and that um we we have to adapt to them as people you know i have my plan all written down but i move it around during the day now i have the freedom to do that because i have more but but your own children like let's say that instead of you spending all this time with a child, like a 12 year old child mostly can work on their own and Mm -hmm. you gave them their list and they were going to have to do Bible history, reading, narration, um, spelling, all these things each day. Um, We could also give them the freedom to move those things around um, as they felt the need so that they might say, well, I'm going to read my poems first because I, and they start, and they start um, taking ownership over that list, then I think that's one way we can start transferring the ownership of their, of their days to them. And they also learn as they go, you know, some kids will do all the hard stuff first, and some kids will do all the easy stuff first. Uh, But most of them will start making adjustments and saying, wow, I did all the easy stuff first. Uh, That wasn't that didn't turn out so great, you know, (laughs) and, and and I think that helps them to take some ownership over, um, how they're learning. So you make the plan, you can give them some autonomy over how they go about doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing you can do. And the other thing is just to remember that, um, um, plans are not going to turn out the way you plan (laughs) pretty much ever. So, um, yeah, you have to kind of hold them loosely. We have to do them and we have to hold them loosely.
0: Hmm. well um i guess that's it i guess we've covered we've covered a lot of ground like i said yeah um, well i'm here what are you reading right now for yourself just as we leave just as we depart oh as i would just
1: so your... brag about what i'm reading because i had to get in touch <laughs> with tim uh, i am reading our book club is reading fear and trembling by kierkegaard mm. uh so i am i'm really delving into that and lots of curiosity about that and then i'm rereading um to say nothing of the dog by connie willis which is a book i absolutely adore and i the more i read it the more i love it i just i could just live there in that book it's so wonderful um but that's a fun fun book to read uh but if you're going to read to say nothing of the dog you have to read um the jerome k jerome book uh Three Men in a Boat first, which is a which is a like a Victorian novel, a little little short Victorian um, fun, PG Woodhouse feeling kind of book.
0: Okay, okay, I'll put these in the um, description for the show notes so people can. Okay, find okay. Those. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a lot of mad uh, Amazon, uh, you know, googling and Amazon searching after this. Um. Well, Cindy, thank you. Um, For everyone who's listening, I just wanted to add a note that we actually are launching a podcast starting next week called The Daily Poem. And each day we're going to be bringing a... Well, they're really like three to eight minute uh, episode where we're going through... um, We're kind of... We kind of talk about like we're curating an audio anthology of the greatest poems ever written. So next week, Monday... Well, actually, this will have aired by the time the first episode. This will be... This will go up the day after the first episode of The Daily Poem goes up. But this week then, on The Daily Poem, we're covering some Shakespeare, some Frost, some Byron, some Wordsworth, some Kipling. Um, Next week, we're going to be going through some Poe, some Blake, some Matthew Arnold, some Yeats, some Lewis Carroll. So the first 20 episodes are going to be some of the most famous poems you've ever heard. Um, Almost all of them taken from the anthology that Cindy mentioned on a recent episode, the classic 100 poems by William Harmon, or edited by William Harmon. And so every weekday, we're going to bring one of these poems. I know a lot of people who we've mentioned this to have said they might incorporate it into their morning time. Mm, um
1: that's a great idea.
0: The poems that are shorter, um like I read most of the poems for the first week, but we'll have other guest people coming on as well. But the ones that are shorter, I read uh twice in some instances and sometimes I would try to vary up the way I was reading them a little bit because reading a poem out loud is necessarily kind of an interpretive thing. So we definitely encourage people who are listening, you know, after you listen to us reading it, maybe do something with your kids, you know, you can incorporate it have you could be reading it along with us you could have them read it aloud you could read it aloud again whatever you want to do i mean incorporate it however you wish but um we we tried to make sure that we made it clear that the way we're reading it you know we're reading it how we hear it you might hear it differently <laughs> so um you know the way i read um the road not taken by frost might not be exactly how you hear it so um that's even a good point of discussion. Like when your kid reads it or when you read it and you read it a little bit differently or you hear it a little bit differently than I do, that might be an interesting thing to discuss with your kids, especially if they're a little older. Like, why Why did you read that differently than he read it? Or why did he read it? I, you know, There's a lot of different ways you could approach that.
1: Well, you are brave, David. You are very brave. No, Actually, I am
0: incredibly terrified. <laughs> yeah, I said
1: talk about fear and trembling.
0: The number one thing that we're going to hear is why did that person read it that way? Or they're going to say that I sound like... A turtle with a wombat up its nose, or something. But um, oh
1: yeah, yeah. People, oh dear, yeah, yeah. I just, I'm saw just that. never
0: going to read the comments. That, that's my yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, did you see that Michael Caine uh, reading of "If" and then yeah, people I were did, all see, over yeah. that because he made a couple little errors. You know, he he. It, I mean, come on, God, the guy was doing a beautiful job. Let's just leave it at that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because there's certain there's certain things I know about certain poems. That come into, or that that I from when I studied them, that can't help but sort of subconsciously impact the way sure, I read it. Sure. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, someone's going to say I didn't read, like they didn't like the way I read this line or something like that. And yeah, you can make a mistake here and there, and you can. I mean, I the good thing about you can edit these things and re, re-record them and stuff like that. But um, yeah, fear and trembling is right. So my goal in life is just, you know, d- avoid the comment section.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, don't so. don't read them. <laughs> good <clears> job.
0: <throat> And then I'll just fire myself and bring on other people to read as much as possible. Um, but it's hard to, someone said, you should have multiple, different people read each poem. And I said, I really like that idea, but it's hard enough to get one person to do that every oh, yeah, day. Yeah, the
1: scheduling nightmares of something like that. That is true. That there, I, I do enjoy that when I've heard of different people read. Uh, I think LibriVox has some examples of bunches mm-hmm. of people reading the same poem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you, I mean, hopefully we're going to push these over to YouTube as well. So if you like to use create playlists on YouTube, then that's another way of of doing this as well. So if you want to listen and suffer through me reading things out loud, then (laughs) feel free to subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Um, we'll try to bring on people who have better radio voices than me. And it's
1: called the Daily Poem. Well, you don't have a yep. bad voice at all. Also, I think you'll be fine.
0: If it's if you um yeah, if you just search in iTunes or in Stitcher or Podcast Addict or wherever, it's called the Daily Poem. And then you can also go we're doing this as part of our close reads. Um Podcast Network Project, um, you can find that at closereadspods.com as well, uh, or closereadspodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a new show that we're doing on Shakespeare where we're going through all of the entire Shakespeare canon one act at a time. So we started with King Lear and the next play we're going to do is Much Ado About Nothing and then we're going to do Henry the Fifth. So those are the first three plays we're going to be doing this fall. And you can You're not ask-
1: reading the plays, so you're, you're no, we're uh, discussing just them. discussing them right? Right. one act right. at a time. Okay, yep. great.
0: Um, so the so first... that,
1: does that mean you have four podcasts on Lear?
0: Well, you're gonna do five well, we're gonna do five uh, podcasts five, on Lear five, five. I'm
1: sorry, and
0: then five. we're gonna do a q and a episode on each one so people can okay. send in their questions and we can answer their questions. um Lear, act one of Act one scene one of Lear is one of the longest scenes in Shakespeare. So we actually did a we did an episode just on that. So Lear will have six episodes plus the q and a. So the idea is you know you don't have to even listen to us as you know, all, at as we're going live unless you want to read along with us but we're trying to just create a resource for people who want to think more deeply about shakespeare so that's called the plays the thing and that's another it's got its own feed as well so you can also find that wherever you get podcasts as well so those are two literary based podcasts on poetry and on shakespeare for those of you who might want to incorporate that into your reading life just throwing that out there it's available to subscribe to um but that's enough of the um, shameless plugs now. So we'll let people go. (laughs) We'll let you go, Cindy. Thank you for for joining me.
1: All right. Thanks a lot.
0: Good luck with your plans this year. Hold them loosely, right?
1: (laughs) Yes. Amen.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, for Cindy and for all of us here at the Cersei Institute, I'm David Kern. Thanks so much for listening to The Mason Jar and we will talk to you next week.